You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. I'm Jamie Dumont. I'm Jennifer Samard. And I'm Rob Russo. And this is The, the Fabulous, Fabulous Invalid. Invalid. Hi, Jamie. What's going on? I think I spoke over you. Can you do it again? I might even speak over me, but yeah, I'll be, I'm happy to do it again. Too. Hi, everyone. Hello. Hi, Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> that was unexpected. Yes, that was Jennifer. Hello. <laughs> that, it is. That's why I like the color orange. It's unexpected. Right? It is unexpected. An unexpected song. We're back to our colors again, are we? <laughs> yeah, I'm <Yeah>. sorry. <laughs> it always goes back to Fiddler, our colors, and Jerry Herman. Yeah, well. You know, it's interesting that Sondheim doesn't come up a lot on this show, hmm. which is, I think, interesting. Mm-hmm. Somehow we lean more towards the Fiddler Herman world. I don't, I don't know why. Yeah. Well, it's not intentional. It's just sort of... That's just how it is. What's happened? We'll we'll get there. The year is young. (laughs) Yeah. That's right. (laughs) It is very young. Um, Okay, so what do we want to talk about today? I think we want to talk about guns. Yeah. Well, there was a really exciting announcement from the uh, forthcoming Broadway production of Oklahoma um, that they are uh, joining the um, Gun Neutral Initiative, which is an effort that's aimed at, um, I guess, sort of resetting that dynamic in American uh, media representation regarding uh, weapons and, you know, specifically guns. Um, So as part of this production, which, if you've seen it, um, I don't think I'm giving anything away if you haven't, um, there are uh, guns uh, all over the auditorium of this production, uh, just sort of menacingly hanging on the wall. Um, And, of course, if you know the musical Oklahoma, um, there is some violence uh, in the show itself. Uh, So as part of this initiative, they are committing to making a donation to organizations that are working on gun violence prevention um, for every gun that appears in the show. Yeah, that's great. That's pretty cool. Well, I mean, I think it's wonderful because it's honoring the original artistic work as written Mm -hmm. by the authors while respecting the socio-political climate that we currently find ourselves in and not ignoring it. Right. Right? Yeah. So I think it's great. Absolutely. Well, I think that, you know, the key to making, you know, any large social change, especially something that impacts the culture in the way that, you know, guns do. I mean, you know, think of America, you think of guns, right? I mean, the, the musical soft power, what are they, what's the first thing that they latch onto when they're satirizing American culture? It's guns. Well, how um, does Aunt Eller get everybody's attention? She right. shoots off she a sh- gun. Right, I mean, it's so ingrained in our history and our culture. Um, so you know, the, the only way you're ever going to change it is by having a conversation and in, in keeping up the momentum, right? And that's what's exciting about an, an initiative like this is you know, guns are everywhere, and of course, they're in our media, in the media we consume, and on stage. So, you know, it, it's really very thoughtful of them to take a step back and realize, yeah, you know, doing this show in 2019 is in a way contributing to the gun culture of America. Of course, no one's intending to do that, but, in, you know, it, it's a fact of doing Oklahoma, the way, especially the way that they've done it. Um, so, um, you know, this taking a part in this, this initiative at least gets people talking and thinking, and that's how you create change. There's a production of Hello, Dolly. With guns? With, from Germany <laughs> that's on YouTube. And in the Sunday Close number, they put in a dance break where they're presumably going from Yonkers to 
New York City because the scenery changes from countryside to sort of city. And while that's happening, a chorus of cowboys comes out and start with guns that they're shooting off as they're two-stepping back across the stage to the music of Sunday Clothes. Now, it has nothing to do with Hello, Dolly, but it's so interesting to me that that's their perception of America, right? Mm. Like, they can't even, they have to add it in to a musical where it doesn't even fit or belong or has never been there before. That's what, that's the impression that we leave right. around the world. Well, on that note, I think we should probably head to our guests. Well, Jennifer, <laughs> you have to leave and go do your show, so you can't stay for tonight's interview. You will be missed. I'll be missed, too, especially because, you know, my husband's going to be one of the um, electricians putting in this show, and I'm really excited about it, about Oklahoma. But I'm going to be there on opening night. Ooh, so are we. Yeah, yeah. So we'll all have such a good time supporting our colleagues and friends. And we can party. Yes. I have no idea where the party is, but... I don't somewhere. either, but I'm really, really excited about this one. And I wish I could stay, but yeah, I'm off, I'm off to the Broadway. The Do you Broadway. like going to the parties after? I tell you what, I enjoy it much more when I'm a guest at opening night. When you are in the show, it really is part of your job. I'm not saying it's not fun, but... Yeah, but you, you have to you, you do you the ha line, you have, you to, have do the to press. You have to work, mm -hmm. you have to work, you have to um, make sure that you're representing your show with dignity and class and not saying the wrong thing and, you know, and and being, you know, just being on. Did you have you know? fun at the Dolly party? That was a big party at the library. Oh, my gosh. Well, as a Ghostbusters fan, from the oh. time I was a little <laughs> girl, I was like, <laughs> all I was thinking was, my, my uncle thought he was St. Jerome. Like, I just, I, I was just reenacting Ghostbusters the entire time. <laughs> that building is, I took a, I used to have an English boss, uh, and we did an event in the library, and the first time he ever went in that building was when we did a walkthrough. And I took him upstairs, because there's a beautiful um, mural on the ceiling on the second floor, and I took him upstairs, and he looked at me and he said, Monty, I had no idea you had buildings like this in America. <laughs> Motherfucker, really? I mean, you know, we've got a couple of. You don't have that. You don't have all the nice buildings in right. the UK. We have at least two centuries of history. Give, yeah, give us we got some good buildings. Yeah. Yeah. You, we, you and I, Rob, we walked into oh, the Beekman yes. Hotel yes. Um, a, a week ago, and that if you haven't been in that building, it's down on. It's like 15 Beekman Street, which is downtown in financial district. Very downtown. That's and where Mame lived. Beekman. Yeah, well, she was, she was <laughs> three oh, Beekman. Yeah, she was I might have misspoke. Beekman Place is on the Upper East Side, but Beekman Street, uh -huh. I think, or whatever it's called, it's right mm -hmm. off of Nassau. Google it. The, the it, it's the Beekman Hotel okay. and the restaurant is I think the Temple Court. And you want to go into the temple court and you want to walk past the hostess stand and they're going to smile at you and go, yeah, everyone does this, it's fine. And then you want to look up because it is one of the most magnificent, what's the word? What's it's the atrium, right? Atrium. Yeah. It's what, 20 stories? At least. At least. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Anyway, I digress. Really cool. That was fun. What were we talking about? We were talking about the fact that I'm leaving. God. <laughs> oh, you've got, oh, shit. Now you're late. Jesus. Yeah, right. yeah. Go, go to your theater. Hi. Hi. Um, so I was saying to Mary, we'll, um, 
We'll do a quick intro. We'll just we got some questions about Oklahoma, and mm -hmm. we'll get you out of here. Um, <laughs> we're in an old building, and sometimes the pipes bang. If okay. that happens, we'll have to take a quick break and let them do their thing. Okay. Hopefully that won't happen. <laughs> if you want a scone or a sandwich or some gooey cheese, help yourself. Thank you. Um, that's kind of it. Amazing. Fine. Great. Thanks for coming down. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, Excited. <laughs> all right. Aaron, am I good? Yeah. Okay. Um, this is not my, the intros are not my strong suit, so be kind. No worries. <clears throat> I think you're going to do great. Today we are delighted to welcome two of the stars of the upcoming and thrilling revival of Oklahoma. Ali Stroker, who plays Ado Annie, made her Broadway debut a few seasons back in the Deaf West Theater's revival of Spring Awakening, and was a finalist on season two of The Glee Project, and also appeared on the series. Mary Testa, who plays Aunt Eller, is no stranger to the theater. She has starred in countless Broadway and off-Broadway shows, including Xanadu, On the Town, 42nd Street, Chicago, The Portuguese Kid, First Daughter Suite, and A New Brain. Mary can currently be seen on the TV series The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Welcome, guys. Well, thank you. Thank well, that's you. That's quite an intro. <laughs> well, you, I mean, well, uh, aren't we career. something? Yeah. <laughs> well, I could have just said... Hi, Mary and Allie. Yeah, yeah, well, no, I know. Um, That's everyone lovely. Thank you. Uh, yeah. I, feel like, <laughs> I feel like I'm schlepping a little bit. <laughs> I mean, you. you both deserve proper intros. Mm -hmm. Well, thank, thank you. you. <laughs> thank you for coming down. So you've got uh, Oklahoma, which is moving to Broadway. Uh, when do you begin previews? Soonish, right? Honestly, I don't remember. I, March 18th is That's when the, the first previews, and okay. then we open April 7th. Oh, actually, no. See, I don't. Uh, All I know is the start date. It's the 18th, right, of yeah. February? Yes. Excuse me, I have to cough. <clears throat> Sorry. Wow. Oh, so you're not in rehearsal yet? No. no. Will you do more rehearsal because you're in a new space, or do you I just kind of go? We don't like, know. We don't know anything. We don't oh. know anything. I'm assuming that we won't rehearse for long, but that we'll tech for long. Right. It's, <coughs> it's a very, it's a techy show, huh? Well, in the new in the new space, I would assume that there's things that have to be right. Yeah. And when we worked on the production at St. Anne's, we had the luxury of rehearsing on the set. As soon as we can get into the space, probably the better. Yeah, I'm not even sure if they're like building already, or if the, all the plywood is up, or I don't know anything. Mm. Well, it must be a luxury to be able to rehearse on the set. That does not seem like the way things are done. Yeah. This production is like especially immersive. Mm -hmm. And I think that being in the space and actually getting used to the fact that it's not, I guess, would you technically say it's in the round? It's uh, it's two-sided. It was in the round at Bard. It was, yeah. It was in the rectangle, let's put it that way. Wait, wasn't it all the way around? Uh, it was all the way around, oh, but it's a rectangle it's shape. Right. Um, and, he, and at St. Anne's, it was uh, two-sided. So, And for a lot of the production, we're sitting on stage, right. watching everything yeah. happen. And so getting to sort of practice just sitting and listening, which is really difficult. Yeah, it's exhausting. Um, was, you know, just great practice and, and good for rehearsal. Well, this is not your mama's Oklahoma. So no. how do you <laughs> describe it to your friends and family? Do you have words for it? <laughs> um, you know, it's very cinematic. That's how I describe it. Um, it's very real. It's very simple in a way, although the script of Oklahoma is not simple in any way, shape, or form. But it's done simply. There's no big professions of anything. It's all done in a very sort of 
tempered way. I, I don't know if that makes sense. But um, so the most important thing, for me anyway, is listening to what's going on from everybody and reacting in a very believable, non-musical way. Yes, and I always say that it's unlike any production of Oklahoma you've ever seen, so just get ready. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> nothing has changed. The script yeah. is all the same. There's nothing, there's a few lines cut from the script because there's, uh, in the script proper of Oklahoma, there's some chorus people who have lines and things like that. And so some things were, you know, uh, put together for one person or, but nothing is cut, nothing is different. The only thing that's different in this production is the orchestrations. Mm. Uh, the band is a bluegrass band and the orchestrations are for a blue bluegrass band but nothing has changed um the music is the same and um it's just the approach the wheels are yellow the upholstery is brown the dashboard's genuine leather with eyes and glass curtains you can roll right down in case there's a change in the weather two bright side lights winking and blinking Ain't no fun to rig. I'm a thinking that you can keep your rig if you're thinking that I care to swap for that shiny little surrey with the fringe on the top. And in this production, you can really hear the scenes, the book, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the writing. And I had done Oklahoma in high school, and now coming back to it and actually working on these scenes as if it was a play. It's amazing to hear the story and what these people have to say. Because in these other productions, from my my experience, the scenes were always sort of rushed through, and then we get to the songs and the musical numbers, and that's sort of what people remember from Oklahoma. But this is very different. This is about the book in a lot of ways. Yeah, absolutely. And there are so much... There are so many themes in this script. There's misogyny and racism and uh, darkness and sex and sort of exploring sex. And all of that, when you take your time and really go through the scenes in a very simple way, all of that just resonates like crazy, you know? That's a really interesting concept, too, what you said, which is, Ali, which is approaching this as if it's a play. And is, was, that a, was that part of the rehearsal process? That, was that the way you all tackled it? Well, Daniel does not like fake anything, and so if there's anything fake, he stops and, and is just like, no, don't, please don't do that. You know, so Daniel sort of demands that it's real and, and honest and true. I came to work on this production after they had done it at Bard, and I didn't see it at Bard, so I didn't really know what I was getting myself into, other than I knew it was a different kind of production of Oklahoma. And the first day of rehearsal, when we started working on the scenes, I'll never forget, we were sitting at the tables, and Mary was there, and I started doing my lines, and um, Daniel was like, okay, you can just pull back, pull back, pull back, pull back. You don't need to push anything. And it was so refreshing in in a way, because I think sometimes as a performer um, on stage... I feel like, oh, the entire balcony needs to see and hear and maybe feel what I'm, the story that I'm trying to tell. And because this is such an intimate production, I didn't feel that pressure any longer. And plus, our director, Daniel Fish, was just insistent upon all of this being really real. 
And that's really exciting to me and to get to do um, the role of Aino Annie in that kind of way. Because many times I've seen that role played in a very sort of cartoonish way. Mm-hmm. I think what's so interesting about this piece too, about Oklahoma, the way that it's done with this particular group, is that the women really come out very powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the women have say and a choice even though that's not really the way it's written. It's sort of like, you know, the women are sort of pawns in a way. And in this particular um, telling, I think the women are stronger than the men. Yeah. Particularly Eller, because she's she's a badass the way you play her. She's strong. Well, she also is not perfect. And that's what I love about her is that she's got a tad bit of racism going on. Mm Um, and uh, sort of makes up her mind about people in a way. She's not really so flexible. Right. And you find that out in the end, and I kind of love that, you know, and I'm, I'm so excited to get to do it again because I was saying earlier, uh, there's a couple of things I need to really figure out more. Um, so I'm excited to tackle it again, you know. So this will be your third... Yeah, I've been involved with, with it from the very beginning. Right. We started uh, at a table as a table read at New York Theatre Workshop five years ago, probably almost six years ago now. Oh, wow. And we worked on the script for about a week. Um, and, and then like a, a year or two later, we went to Bard. And then Bard was almost four years ago now. Yeah. So, yeah, so it's been a while. When you first got the idea that you were going to play at Eller down at New York Theater Workshop for the table read, was there anything in your mind that was like, oh, God, not it? Like, oh, please. No, not at all, not at all. No, I didn't get the idea. Daniel Fish called me. I had done a reading with him that I forgot about. I, it's a great story. I was actually um, ha- made dinner for Sally Struthers. She and I had done a reading, and um, she didn't see. It was some award show, and I had taped it. And I said, come over. I'll make you dinner, and you can watch the award show. And Daniel called me, um, and I went in my bedroom to take the call, and I said, Daniel, I've got Sally Struthers in my living room, and I, I have to, and he was like, okay, so you know, I really want to talk to you about the Sally Struthers is in your living room. <laughs> it was really great. So he was like, I knew that, and once he reminded me of the reading we had done, um, I, I, re- I remembered that I just find him very interesting as a director, and so I was like, sure, I'm in, sure, that'll be fun. I never thought about it, because I never did Oklahoma, I never saw Oklahoma, mm. I never read Oklahoma, so... It was all new to me when I did the New York Theatre Workshop thing. And in many ways, I mean, that seems to be what's so exciting about this production is that Daniel Fish, it's almost like it's a brand new musical yeah. in, in the approach because it's so untainted by what's come exactly, before. Exactly, yeah. That's exactly. what makes it so fresh. That's yeah. fascinating that it was the same for you. One of my other favorite parts about Aunt Eller is that in many ways she is like the, the, um, the backbone of the community. Yeah. And so... In many ways, I feel like um, the characters like check in or she comments on almost every part of mm-hmm. yeah. the show. And you see this community and this, this just this very close group of people who are really going through, in my opinion, a lot of pain about where they're at and, and to have Aunt Eller there just always sort of checking in on each part of it. It's really, it's really, I think, very unique to see sort of this wise woman be that voice. 
and uh, I just think Mary's brilliant, so. Oh, you're very sweet, <laughs> thank you. Well, it's an extraordinary company, and everybody is wonderful, and, and it's thrilling that we get a chance to do it again. Well, it's really magical, because there's, there's, it's, what, half the normal cast size? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, there's really, there's no, there's no chorus, mm-hmm. there's no dancing. Uh, well, there's well, a little there's, bit of dancing. There's a little bit of Dream dancing. Dream Ballet, yeah. It, sorry, which I have a question about in a okay. second. But, um, <laughs> but, I mean, it's a reduced company, is what yes. I'm saying, and yet, it's as powerful as if there were 30 people on that stage. Yeah. And the way that it's orchestrated in the bluegrass way, mm-hmm. it, it, it's like listening to a whole new show. I mean, yeah, it, it, totally. It, it's really, I'm a fan, that's all I can say. I'm so glad. <laughs> Thank you. You know, I think it's the, it's the ultimate metaphor for theater because um, we are all involved every minute in a way, even when you're off stage. And the, so, the, so is the band. And so we're all in that room together. And so is the audience. And we all can see everybody, and at the audience can see each other, and we can all see everybody all of the time. And it's really what makes theater so great is that collaboration between ev- all the artists and the audience. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes this so thrilling. Is that more draining or more energizing? Uh, it can be very draining. Actually, yeah, yeah. I think it's really exhausting, but 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 you know, but both. Thrilling. But also thrilling. Yeah. And this sounds so cliche, but the audience is really another character and another member of this particular production. So it can be hard at because every audience re- responds differently. We used to talk about this in the dressing room after the shows at St. Anne. It was like, oh my God, they were so with us or oh my gosh, they are <laughs> well, then we get the so confused. Yeah. And, oh, we get yeah, the yeah. cell phones because uh. that happens, you know. Do people actually check their phone when it gets pitch black? Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's, that's happened a few times. That's crazy. Yeah, they just turn their phone on and you see the light. It's just like, come on, come on. But, you know, audiences are, I think, always going to do that uh, because, you know, they're, sometimes they're jerks yeah, and right. they don't get the fact <laughs> that they're... People are just jerks. Yeah, yeah. you know. But it, it does, Ali, to go back to what you were saying about community, I will say as an audience member, when you're, you're facing your, audience, your other audience member, it, it feels like we're part of that town. It feels sure. like we are all in it. And particularly at the end when there's the trial, for lack of a better way to put mm-hmm. it, you feel like you're really there with with the whole town mm-hmm. which is remarkable yeah cool i was hyper aware of the people around me in a Were way you? that i typically am not when i go to the theater because of the design but also i think because of the sort of visceral reaction that was very palpable and i can imagine for you guys on stage you must feel it as well you know i mean the women behind me were just so locked in you know, That's great. Oklahoma. Well, no, they're locked in the like Oklahoma as a classic musical. Oh, were they singing how, how along? How dare they touch it? So they were oh, really? singing along at the beginning, humming along, whatever. And then at intermission, it was like, oh, I can't believe they changed this, they changed that. And then at the end, they just got up and left. And it was like, oh, my Yeah, God. no, there's a you fair know? amount yeah, of that. Yeah, there no, are I'm, people I'm, who want to steer, we, the, yeah. they want to steer the show the way they want their Oklahoma mm-hmm. to be. And, and when they find out that it's not that, they sometimes, there were people, a fair amount of people yeah. who left. Yeah. yeah, intermission, sure. Yeah, yeah and, it, and it is a classic musical. And what I feel so fortunate to be a part of is that this revival is reviving mm. this classic in a way that I think speaks to our world now. Absolutely, right. And 
we need it. We need it more than ever. And um, this was written 75 years ago, and this exists, and a lot of things are repeating now, in, as history does. And I, I think that it's so important to go back to the things that were written a long time ago and see how they can live now mm -hmm. and how they speak to us now and how the music, you know, the fact that they were able to create these arrangements, I think this music will become in, in, cliche, this is cliche to say, but like popular because the sounds of it, it's like, oh my gosh, I could put that on on a Sunday morning and yeah. listen to these songs. I'm dying for the album. I hope, they, hope you guys no, make I know. one. You know, I need yeah. to think about that, but I'm sure that'll be in the mix at yeah. some point, yeah. I, I think it also opens the door for uh, revisiting other classic yeah. shows that may seem creaky to some and whatnot and, and open up the door to, to, to look at those. Because I think you're right, Allie. I think that uh, it, it is a good way to mark progress by looking at where we started and where we are now and, and, and also the fact that you know, we haven't made as much progress as we no, like as we'd to, like to think. Yeah, yeah. As we'd like no, to think. Uh, and in some ways, we've gone backwards. Absolutely. And there are so many themes that are in this production that are so hot right now. Yeah. And to watch it and feel like this community, like just to, for example, like around how much this community uses guns. Mm. Right, and that there are guns in this production, and how that hits us so differently now than it would have even 10 years ago, and how theater is an opportunity to look those things in the eye for two and a half hours. Mm -hmm. And um, not to sort of go off on another sort of tangent, but it's part of why I'm so excited to be a part of this production, and um, specifically, I am a disabled actress, and to have people look this in the eye for two hours and get the opportunity to feel everything that the the um, story of the show is bringing up, but also that these choices and you know somebody in a wheelchair or somebody like you know using guns all the time, like what that does to an audience today in 2019. Mm -hmm. And the power that that has. Exactly. Right? And I just saw that they are doing some gun initiative. I think that's fantastic. Now, I think that was announced yesterday. Yeah, it was announced yesterday. Mm -hmm. right. Yeah, I shared it on Facebook. But um, <laughs> for every time there's a gun, they donate money, which mm -hmm. is great. Yeah. yeah, which is huge. And I think we'll lead the way. And there's lots of guns on stage. There are lots of guns oh, well, they, well, I don't know if it's going to be right? the same. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. part of the set. And yeah. I used to count them every night. Um, <laughs> How many are there? Do you remember? This, no, I used to go through this thing where I was like, um, I want to make sure everybody's gun's here. So that's Clem's gun, and that's this one's gun. And <laughs> I love wait, it. where's my husband's gun? My husband's dead. I have a whole backstory. But um, <laughs> what's my husband's name? Uh, uh, Jasper. Oh, that's a good name. Yeah. Yeah, and kind of appropriate for the time period. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Thank you. I had a long time. I had a long time. No, I had a long time to develop my backstory. But, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I just keep thinking about like a New York audience and and how as New Yorkers we have such a specific experience every day mm -hmm. living here. And to enter Circle in the Square for three hours and to get a glimpse at this community that definitely still exists out there and to remind ourselves to have compassion and also to understand and have the awareness that we're not the only people. Right 
in this country and on this planet. It's hard. New York is a difficult place to live, and oftentimes we get really close-minded about the way things should be. Mm. And as an actor, it's cool to play these people because you can't judge them. They are who they are. Mm-hmm. And that's, uh, I feel really fortunate to get to do that. That's part of what made Oklahoma so groundbreaking in 1943. Absolutely. Was that he was inviting audiences to the Oklahoma Territory. Musicals hadn't really been that exotic. You know, but there was like all, Showboat, which right. it was also broke ground. Right, and, right. Yeah, you exactly. Know, I mean, most musicals of the time were like Rodgers and Hart, you know, witty comedies exactly. with, you know, very urban characters and here you have Oklahoma taking you transporting you to a whole new place and again in you know 2019 as as an urban audience we have that same experience mm-hmm. 75 years later yeah pretty, exactly pretty I incredible. mean carousel too carousel right. was yeah. also yeah. I mean, another they started that revolution yes right? exactly yeah. Um, it's like Shakespeare, you know. It's like it resonates in in every time mm. period because the themes are classic humanity, human themes, you mm-hmm. know. And and uh, so it, so a truly excellent piece of theater will resonate forever, I right. think. Right. You know? And it proves the the genius like Shakespeare of Oscar exactly. Hamstein. That's exactly right. right. That he had yeah. these insights that were still extracting seventy five years That's later. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. Pretty wild. Um, well, Ali, since you brought it up, I'm, I'm glad you did um, because I did want to talk about the fact that you are, you know, an actor who performs in a wheelchair. Um, and I'm wondering if you could share with us a little bit of insight into um, how uh, that changes or maybe doesn't uh, the the process of of staging a musical. You know, absolutely. Uh, well, what what's so funny about this question is that I've I've been in a chair since I was two. So, like, for me, nothing is right. different, right? right? I mean, I obviously observe everyone around me and see how they um, stage things on two feet. But being an actor in a chair, I use my wheelchair as just an opportunity mm. to find real authentic moments with people like I would out in the world. And what's so fun about Ado Annie is that she has these romantic relationships and physical and sexual relationships with two guys in the show. And I loved finding with our director all the different creative ways to be romantic with these guys and it brings up all the conversations around sexuality and disability which from my experience I'm always looking for the stories and the the content around disability and sexuality and they don't there's not a lot out there so to me it was so fun to realize like oh with this character with um, the peddler I sit on his lap but with um Will Parker, he sits on my lap. And like how these dynamics can come about and my favorite part is that you don't need to talk about it, you just do it. Right. And that's something that is happens so often around disability is that there's fear, so we wanna talk about it first. Because the character of Ado Annie wasn't originally written for an actor in a wheelchair and wasn't necessarily written as a person in a wheelchair. We don't have to talk about it. We just do it and we find it. And uh, I think it's really, I I think, added to the show and has made it different and uh, different feels like sort of a lame word, but even, even 
brighter and more expressive. Um, because no matter who you are sitting in that audience, we often see romance and sexuality portrayed in a certain way, and yet it's different and unique for every single person. So um, to get to watch how somebody who can't stand up and uses a wheelchair relates in a loving, affectionate way to another human being is, in my opinion, refreshing and what art should be. Mm-hmm. And that's one of my favorite parts about playing roles that aren't specifically um, written for somebody with a disability because there's a lot of content out there when the character has a disability, that's their storyline. Mm. And that doesn't feel authentic to me because I don't spend every day talking about my wheelchair and what happened to me. Like, I live my life and my disability comes up in certain situations when I can't get in and out of a you know car or when I need help at the grocery store and I have these small little interactions. Again, it doesn't need to be talked about. It's just done and mm. it's shown. And the power is sort of in the non-comment. Absolutely. And every single person responds differently to it. Like, I remember after some of the shows, there were were people who were like, oh, I didn't think you were actually in a wheelchair. Like, they thought that it was a choice for the show. Hmm. Oh, I see. And that's also an interesting experience because then I start to wonder, you know, this is like me driving home like in an Uber, like, oh, I wonder why they thought that. <laughs> and, and, and part of it feels like because there's this huge movement around diversity that we feel like it would be like cool and hip maybe to put a character um, in a chair or have a disability. And I just think it's so important that it is authentic. Mm-hmm. And how does that make you feel when you're thinking about the person who didn't actually understand that you were in a wheelchair? Does that, does that feel good or does it feel like, oh, they missed the point? Well, after 29 years of being in a chair, I realized that I never will have control over what other people right. think about my disability. <clears throat> and as an actor, it's almost like that was perfect preparation <laughs> because as an actor, if you spend your time wondering and, and hoping that, that an audience member is going to get something that you wanted them to get, it's really a waste of time. Exactly. Then you're not I mean, in your moments. And that's and, globally. Yeah. Just, I mean, Absolutely. That's just, that's, yeah. You could have even put a period after, right, you, you just don't, you can never understand what people are thinking. Like, Mm-mm. that's just, it no. just no. is. And that's theater and life. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I hear that you like to cook. You did? Yes. I that- love to cook. Oh, my gosh. That's so fun that you brought that up. <laughs> well, yes. Jamie's our chef, which is why yeah. he brought it I up. I cooked oh. professionally for a few years back uh, in my younger days. And so, anyway, I'm always fascinated when somebody enjoys cooking. Oh, my gosh. We're making chili tonight. Are you really? Absolutely. Wow. <laughs> well, for a candied sweet or a pickled beet, step up to my smorgasbord. Go around until you've had your fill Baby, you'll never be bored Oh, I'm a pate, a marron glacé A dish you will wish you had took And what's more, baby, I can't go Circling around, what 
does happen with the cornbread mix that you guys... <laughs> I think it gets thrown out. <laughs> really? It doesn't get... Yeah. No, it doesn't get baked, no. Uh, at St. Anne's, there was a caterer who did the chili and the cornbread. Right. Um, I just mix it on stage, but we don't use that because in order to, you know... Health codes. Well, yeah. you know, <laughs> know, and the eggs are sitting out. And no, yes, I that. and yeah, you don't yeah. want any of that. Right. You don't want yeah. that. Stuff. No, you don't want that. No. It's yeah. one of my favorite moments, though, to watch while I'm sitting oh on stage gosh, at the top yeah. because there's nothing better than watching someone and how they crack an egg. Yeah, yeah. that's right. And I'm a two-cracker. Yes. I'm a pop, pop. I always hit it twice. Oh, is that Ann Eller or is that Mary Testa? That's probably Mary. <laughs> yeah. I just, you know, I didn't make a choice in Ann Eller. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's probably how she Mary. cracks her. Yeah. Eggs. How do you crack an egg? Um, side of the bowl. Yeah, yeah. side of the bowl, guys. Just once. And do you hold on to it? Do you crack it, or is it? Do you pull the the, the shells apart? I do on the side once. Yeah. And then thumb in. Yeah. Yeah. And crack. So and crack. I just do, you know, my difference is I do it twice. Right. You just <laughs> and then. Bap, bap. Crack, Boom, right. open. Yeah. How many eggs do you crack a night? Uh, six. Oh, it feels like much more. Yeah, no, it's why. just six. We, we, you know, there was like, at one point, there were like 18 boxes. It just, <laughs> you ha- we have to get it down to, I think there were like 12, and they're not all the way full, and they, they refill the boxes. The Jiffy boxes? Yes. And I love that it's Jiffy. Yeah. Cornbread mix, totally. too. For those who it haven't must. seen the show, there's, there's a moment yes. in, the, in Act 1 yeah. where, where Aunt Eller is making yeah. cornbread it's mix. It's oddly and, satisfying. Yeah. It's really yeah. satisfying. And there's chili on the tables, right? There's, there's people actually eat chili at intermission, is that? Yes, but it, it's not at the table. There's hot pots mm-hmm. at the table. But there's no chili Highly symbolic. Oh, there's no chili. Yeah. Yes. I obviously have eaten before. I see the show each time I've been. So I've not partaken. There was chili up at Bard in every single one. Yeah, that's that's what I thought. I felt like people were... But they couldn't with the health codes and the way things were set up. Because at Bard, there was a kitchen. Yeah. Uh, There was not here. So they had to do it in a different way. Right. Yeah. (laughs) I think every night um, when Will has to... He he's he runs on the tables and the tables have the hot pots <laughs> filled with stuff and every night he does it. I'm like, please, <laughs> I know, please don't, don't trip on them, please don't fall, please don't have hot chili all over everybody. But that's part of the feeling. Yeah, it's like the like the tension and the nerves sort of build up throughout the show. Mm. Yeah, there's there's a fair amount of tension. Yeah, it really is. Mm, and uh, and there's something really interesting when you when you put people in pitch darkness, mm-hmm. right? I would imagine that the audiences react differently each night to that. Just that, that just that, you know, there's something scary about having the lights turned off. On None you. of us are on stage. It's just yeah. Curly and uh, mm-hmm. and, and uh, Judd on yeah. stage. Some of my closest people who have seen it, they were like, I thought I didn't, I couldn't, I didn't realize that the lights were going to be off for so long. Mm. And I do think it is, especially as New Yorkers, right? Like, it's never dark. Right. <laughs> Even <laughs> at night. Like, there's just all this light pollution. And and so I think that it it is, it, yeah, again... It uncomfortable. Yeah, it, it makes mm. you feel like, oh, my God, <laughs> like, what's going to happen? Exactly. Makes you lean in. But I feel like exactly. there are several yeah. moments. That's the kind of theater I want to see. I want yeah. to lean in. I don't want to sit back. Oh, yeah. yeah. This production certainly delivers yeah. the leans. Yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. 
absolutely. I mean, there's there are many moments where, as an audience member, you're uncomfortable. And I think that's good. Absolutely. Yeah. I think yeah. that's what gets us to pay attention mm -hmm. to what you're that's trying to do. That's the kind of theater us. I'm interested in. Yeah. I, I'm not interested in, I, I personally am not interested in just being entertained all the time. I, I like to be challenged. Mm -hmm. Right. I like to sit forward and I like to have to figure things out, you know. That's, That's me, personally. Perfect segue, because um, I can't sit across from you and not talk about your very long relationship as a muse and you know, player with uh, Michael John Lacusta. Yeah. Because talk about you know, art that makes you yeah, pay attention see, and that's listen what I love. and ask questions. Yeah, that's what I love, yeah. Um, I'm curious to know of the many shows you know, you've done with him from Marie Christine to First Daughter Suite and everything in between. Um, is there one in particular that was special to you? Or? Oh, yes, Queen of the Mist, yeah. Mm. I mean, that was written for me, and it was... It's it's a character that I can't even think about. I, I, so, I can sob if, mm. you, if I talk about it too much. It's just one of those... Uh, it was a, an extraordinary experience, and uh, it was my uh, really my heart and Michael John's heart as well. Yeah, it was extraordinary. There is greatness in me; it shall be revealed. I have greatness in me; it can't be concealed. I shall provoke a world sensation, break down more doors than Harry Nation. The hoi will all agree. There is greatness in me. That was in 2012, right? That was yeah. six, yeah. 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 You got a like special award from the drama did, desk. I did. Uh, recognition you know why? That, that performance. Uh, because yeah. uh, here's why. I know why? this is why. <laughs> because well, first of all, it was. I think it was pretty good. But Audra was um, on. Uh, Audra was up that uh, year, and I think they sure. said, oh, well, if we can't nominate her, she's not going to win because I'm just going to win. So I think that's why they gave me this special <laughs> award. <laughs> well, that's very humble of you. No, I really do. I think that's it because they they said it was for Queen of the Mist and and three decades of outstanding work. So I know that they sort of jerry rigged it. So oh. you know what I mean. I took it. I mean, it's, I was very, <laughs> I'm going to say you deserved thrilled. it. Well, thank you. I was yeah. very thrilled, but I'm pretty sure that if I was just nominated in the category, I would not have won against Audra. <laughs> I'm glad that they yeah, created that award. It's lovely. Yeah, yeah. It was lovely. Thank mm. you. Yeah. We always ask everybody this this question, and that is, and it doesn't have to be a Broadway show. It can be a movie. It can be a community high school, whatever. What was that show? We'll start with you, Allie. What was that show that, that bit you and gave you the, the bug to, to be an actor? Well, it was the first production I had ever been a part of, and it was Annie. And we did it in my backyard on the deck at the Jersey Shore. <laughs> and it was all the neighborhood kids, and we, um, we worked on it all summer. Oh. And then, um, like, one of the kids' moms painted the backdrop and we like sold tickets and we took it all very seriously. Rachel Antonoff, who is a designer and a very close friend, she was 12 years old at the time and she had just come home from Stage Door. And she was one of the campers, but I think was really inspired by the director. So she wanted to direct this and she cast me as Annie. And being a seven-year-old girl in a wheelchair, I um, was used to people 
staring at me when we would go out. And when I came out on stage for the first time doing this production in our backyard, I felt people staring at me and it felt really powerful. And it just flipped everything on its head for me that I could take this thing that I had caused me a lot of pain and all this attention and turn it into something where I was, I was in charge and I was the star and I was hooked. At, well, so and cool. in charge you are. On yeah. Yeah. That is thank you. Uh, thank you, Annie, because the sun <laughs> keeps coming out. And I play Annie again. <laughs> From Annie to Edo there Annie. There you go. Right? There you go. Rob, Rob knows this, but um, my parents used to use Annie um, as, as a babysitter for me when we would go to Los Angeles for my father's work, and we would they would they would we would stay at a hotel across from where it was playing, and they would just I would go Friday, Saturday, two shows, Sunday, and then they could go and do their own thing. So it has a it has a real Annie's a Annie's a powerful show. Oh for wow, yeah. that's so uh, sweet. Mary, what was yours? I don't, I don't know. You don't have one. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't remember. I do remember like uh, being a teenager and going, "Do I want to be a lawyer or an actor?" <laughs> and then I just went, mm, "I think I'd rather be an actor because then I don't have to go to school as long." <laughs> uh, it's and logical. Then, it's and then a there was also a moment choice. in college, but I don't remember the show where I was doing something and. Um, I did something spontaneously. I don't even remember what the play was. And, because I was a straight actor, I wasn't in musicals. And I remember thinking, wow, this is, this is really powerful. This is a spontaneous moment. And I just all of a sudden decided to do this, read this line this way, and wow. Mm. So it's really not, it's small, but that that's it, I guess. There are no wrong answers. I think it's yeah. pretty interesting that you originally went into acting because it was easier. Yeah, right? <laughs> oh, right, right? Yeah, exactly. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> what an idiot. I know, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, on that note, <laughs> yeah. thank well, We're you. grateful that you did. <laughs> Thanks. Yes. Thank you. I appreciate For it. For sure. Yes. And we, I know we're, we both cannot wait to get back uh, oh, to great. see the show uh, at the Circle in the Square thank on Broadway. You. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you for the interview. So special. And you guys are just phenomenal. Thank you very uh, much. Our listeners yeah. should go out and get tickets. Don't be afraid yeah. that we that it's an unconventional Oklahoma because it's the greatest reward to see this production. Thank you Thank so you. much. Thank, Thank you. you. So appreciate it. Thank you. here with you may be wondering. Oklahoma, which celebrated its 75th anniversary last year, has long been revered as having marked a major milestone in the evolution of American musical theater. You may be wondering, though, exactly why is that the case? After all, 
Oklahoma wasn't the first musical to fuse story, song, and dance. On Your Toes did that. Or the first to break with convention. Pal Joey was a pioneer years before. Or the first to deal with serious themes. Showboat had done that in 1927. Though it was the first collaboration between composer Richard Rodgers and librettist Oscar Hammerstein II, each had long careers writing for the theater long before they became a duo. And while it held the title for some time, Oklahoma isn't even the longest-running show, either. So what is it about Oklahoma that made it such a touchstone in 1943? In Something Wonderful, Todd S. Purdom's fantastic new book about Rodgers and Hammerstein's Broadway revolution, he argues that Oklahoma was the first musical to integrate dance into drama, eschew common musical comedy conventions, and deal with serious themes and personalities all at once, in service to serious character development and with outstanding success. Oklahoma can be seen as the convergence of all these separate revolutions that have been brewing for some time into one singular package that had the effect of forever elevating and advancing the art form of American musical theater. Most musical comedies of the time were silly and formulaic. Oklahoma broke with convention and was awarded a special honorary Pulitzer Prize in recognition of its achievement. Rather than starting the show with a big glitzy chorus number, as was the practice at the time, Oklahoma opens with Ann Eller, alone on the stage, churning butter as Curly sings the first stanza of Oh, What a Beautiful Morning from the Wings. That decision alone was groundbreaking. At the close of Act One, the show introduces the concept of a 15-minute dream ballet by choreographer Agnes DeMille to reveal to the audience the hidden fears and desires of the characters. An extended dance sequence that was integral to plot and character development had never been done before in a musical. Almost immediately, audiences and critics alike knew that something was different and wonderful. With some notable exceptions like Showboat and Porgy and Bess, most musicals up to this point were witty affairs with cartoonish or else highly refined characters in urban and urbane settings. Oklahoma took its audience to the American plains at the dawn of the 20th century, employing a unified folk idiom to tell an earnest tale of pioneering men and women who were a little rough around the edges. That it arrived on stage in the middle of World War II a moment awash in patriotic spirit and American nostalgia only increased its cultural resonance and import. Oklahoma signaled a seismic shift in perfected form, promptly followed by Rodgers and Hammerstein's Carousel and Allegro, each of which pushed even further, and laying the groundwork for others to take the baton and run, creating masterpieces like West Side Story, Cabaret, Company, and A Chorus Line, each of which changed the trajectory of musical theater in their own way. Today, in 2019, Oklahoma is once again shaking things up with Daniel Fish's ambitious new production headed to Broadway in just a few weeks. Even if you've never seen Oklahoma, you will want to check this one out. here. That's our show. Thanks for listening. The Fabulous Invalid is a production of O&M Etc. and The Fabulous Invalid LLC. Our theme music is by Lucky Chops. Today's episode was edited and engineered by Aaron Kaufman. Find us on iTunes and online at thefabulousinvalid.com and on social media at Fabulous Invalid. And be sure to tune in next Wednesday.
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise. <laughs> 